doctrine of angels. Right, Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon all of our teachers, the effort of God, the labor that they have put forth. Father, we ask your blessing to be upon the children, upon the young people. Lord God, as they go into their classes this morning, we thank you and give you all glory, honor, and praise for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, the doctrine of angels. The doctrine of angels is neglected because, number one, of ignorance. People are ignorant of the angelic world. Number two, unbelief in the supernatural. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 7, of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So angels are very real. The Bible tells us that they're real. Amen. And God made them, and they are ministering spirits, and they are ministers, and they are flames of fire. So this morning we're going to teach you the doctrine of angels because we've neglected. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing, Lord Jesus, to be upon the reading of your holy word. We ask God you to have your way in and through us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you for the victory that you've given us. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Because people are ignorant of angels, they don't understand angels, these supernatural beings, created beings, spirit world. Uh, this subject is neglected. And number two, because of unbelief, we go to Acts in the 23rd chapter of the book of Acts. And we have the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a religious group of people who did not believe in the supernatural. Because they didn't believe in the supernatural, they did not believe in angels. In Acts 23, verse 8, it says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. So one reason why a subject that is neglected is because there are people that are like the Sadducees that do not believe in angels. Okay? They have an unbelief in the supernatural. And then uh, number three, it is because of fear or superstition concerning the unseen world realm of spirit beings. The superstition, the fear, or the superstition of it. And then number four, it is neglected because angels are giving undue worship. Undue worship. They are prayed to and they are worshipped by some. So these are the four reasons why angels are neglected. Let me say it again. Number one, they are neglected because of ignorance. Number two, they're neglected because of unbelief concerning the supernatural, and that includes the angels, of course. Number three, it is a neglected doctrine because of fear or superstition. And number four, because of undue worship that is given to them. They are oftentimes prayed to and given praise, and the Bible tells us not to do that. Now, the 
Word of God gives us the solution to all of these four reasons for angels being neglected. Let's go over to the prophet Isaiah. And in the eighth chapter of the prophet Isaiah, the Lord lets us know about these spirit beings. What we need to understand is that we cannot build a doctrine on angels based on personal experience or visions. The doctrine of angels must be built upon the word of the Lord. Just because a person has an experience with an angel or a vision of an angel does not mean that they're going to be doctrinally correct. So we have to go to the word of the Lord to remove the reasons for neglect, then we have to go to the word of God in order to build or establish a true teaching about angels, not personal experience. Although personal experience with angels, that would include visions, is genuine oftentimes. So a person has many times experience with angels, visions of angels, and that's real, it's genuine. But just because a person has a vision or because they have an experience with an angel does not qualify them to build a doctrine about angels. The Word of God is the thing that clarifies us about the teaching of angels. So we have to look at the Bible to understand angels. Does that make sense to you? All right, go to Isaiah chapter 8. And so the Lord lets us know through the prophet Isaiah in the 8th chapter, beginning verse 19. Here's what he says. He says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits. Now, a familiar spirit is a fallen angel. So the prophet says, When they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that teach, and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, and then verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So the they here, when it says, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them, the they being spirits. Okay? So, an angel... And be okay. There's two categories. Number one, unfallen angels, the elect of God, and then fallen angels. And that's why you cannot build a doctrine uh, based on vision or experience. Because if these angels or these spirit beings come to you and they do not speak according to the word of God, according to the testimony or the commandment of God, he says there is no light in them. So if any of you here this morning happen to have an experience or a vision with an angel, and that angel comes to you, and it's not according to the Word of God, they speak something different from the testimony or the commandments of God, it says there is no light in them. That's why you cannot base your teaching or your doctrine on experience 
our vision. That's not to discount the genuineness of that experience, but you can't build a doctrine on it. I told you the book of Galatians, and Paul in the New Testament brings light to our understanding when he says this in verse 6, Marvel not, Marvel, I marvel, he said, that you are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That means they're going to change it up. In verse 8, he says this, but we are an angel, but though we are an angel from heaven. So now he gives us understanding about people who will pervert or change the gospel up. It's not just human beings that will do that. There are angels that will do that, fallen angels. So he says, but, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So let's say an angel comes in here and stands in the middle of this room, and maybe it's radiating light, okay? Well, the Bible says that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of what? Light. So they say he comes and he stands in the middle of this room and he starts teaching you a different doctrine from the doctrine of the apostles. He tells you that you don't have to be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. He tells you that you don't have to have the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. He tells you that you don't have to repent of your sin. He tells you that the blood of Jesus is not necessary for salvation. And any number of doctrines, if he comes and he stands there, I don't care how radiant and light he is, if he tells you something other than the testimony of the commandment of God, God says there is no light in him. Do you understand that? So you cannot go by experience or even vision you have to go back to the Word of God to determine. Everything has to be tested by the Word of the Lord. Every experience, angels, demons, whatever, okay? You understand that? Now, so I believe in, in angels. I believe in the experience with angels. I believe in the supernatural world. But I believe that always we have to make sure that what they tell us or any experience that we have lines up with the Bible. Do you believe that? Okay? The existence of angels are in the everlasting kingdom of God. Now, when you go through the Bible, you're going to read about different aspects of the kingdom of God. One of them talks about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he gives parables. Kingdom of heaven. And then Luke talks about the kingdom of God. Well, basically, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. And then we have what is known as the spiritual kingdom. But I'm fixing you to come so you'll understand. When you talk about angels, angels exist in the everlasting kingdom of God. Right? Now think about what I just said. Angels are not eternal. Angels were created by God. God is eternal. God has always existed. Angels were created by God. They are spirit beings. They were created by the Lord. And they are, as the Bible says, flames of fire. So 
So angels are not eternal. They haven't always existed. They were created by the eternal God. But they are everlasting. You understand that? Everlasting. They had a beginning in creation, but they will exist forever. So they are in the everlasting kingdom of God, what you would call the everlasting kingdom of God, and the universal kingdom of God. Okay, which simply means if, if God's kingdom is throughout the whole universe, okay, heaven and earth. So when you talk about the existence of angels, number one, you have to locate, uh, and I'm talking about the good angels here, you have to locate where are they? What kingdom are they in? Well, they're in the everlasting kingdom of God, which is the universal kingdom of God. Now, there are two types of angels. Number one is fallen, and number two unfallen angels, and we'll get into that as we go along. Are y'all understanding here? So they are created spiritual beings, and they are called angels. The Hebrew word angel, malak, uh, means messenger or angel, or agent, excuse me, messenger or agent. And then the Greek word is angelos, which also means messenger. Now, this word angel can be used of God, of men, and angel beings because it simply means to be a messenger, right? So a man can be a messenger. God is the messenger of the covenant. You understand that? Or an angel can come with a message. So when you talk about the word angel, you're talking about a messenger. The Hebrew word means the same thing as the Greek word, messenger or angel. When we talk about angels, the doctrine of angels this morning, we're talking about the supernatural created spiritual beings that God made that are invisible, that are everlasting, not eternal, but everlasting. All right? Over 300 references to angels are in the Bible. 300 references. So that tells us that they do exist. The Word of God lets us know they exist. Over 300 references to them in the Word of God. The good angels come to help humanity. The bad angels come to harm humanity. That's the difference, right? In the Old and the New Testament, we have people of God that were ministered to by angels, both Old and New Testament. So an Old Testament experience of angels, when Jesus came, that didn't stop happening. There are still angels that operate in the New Testament and minister to us in the New Testament. So, the Bible's clear. You go through the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament, and you'll see many men and women that angels came to and ministered to them. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 12, we have one example. Peter is cast into prison, and the Bible says the angel of the Lord went to him by night and went into that prison cell, and the scripture says the chains fell off of him, the gates opened up, and he went free into the city. So we have angels that operate in the Old Testament, angels that operate in the New Testament. Jesus spoke often of angels, and oftentimes these angels, good angels, ministered to him and strengthened him as well. Jesus talked about legions of angels, a legion about 6,000 angels. And the scripture tells us when they were going to take him captive, uh, and this obviously before he was crucified, 
He said, I could pray right now. Are you with me? And the Lord would send how many? Twelve legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels that if the Lord prayed would come right then to warfare against the men that were taking him captive to crucify him. And those angels would do warfare against mankind. Obviously, one angel killed over 180,000 men in the Old Testament. You think about that. One angel could kill over 180,000 men. Jesus said, I could pray right now, and 72,000 angels could come right now and deliver me out of your hand. So when Jesus uh, talked about angels, he talked about not just a few of them, he talked about legions of angels that, that he prayed would come and help him. So Jesus often made reference to angels, and angels often ministered to him. Are y'all getting today? When he was in the garden, he was praying right before the crucifixion. Great uh, drops of blood fell from his brow as he's contemplating being crucified uh, and the sins of the world being placed on him. And he says, as he's praying, not my will, but your will be done. The Bible says an angel came and strengthened him. So, Old Testament individuals, men of God, were ministered to by angels. And New Testament men, like Peter, were ministered to by angels. And Jesus spoke often of angels and was ministered to by angels as well. And many times, you and I are ministered to by angels, and we're not even aware of it. Now, listen carefully. Again, my experience or my vision of an angel does not establish doctrine about angels. But I will tell you this, that there are many times when I have been in a service with you, and maybe you've been in a service as well, and as God began to move in that service, you begin to feel supernatural things happening. You couldn't see them with your eyes, but then because we've already clarified to you that a spirit is like the wind. It's invisible. But you knew something touched you because you had an experience, some some supernatural experience that came to you. Um, as a believer, I've been in situations, and it's not just in the church. It's not in a church service only. I was teaching two young people a home Bible study one time. And we were on a three-day fast. Our pastor asked us to be praying and fasting. He put us on a three-day fast. And we were praying and we were fasting. And I was teaching uh, these two young people a home Bible study. And as I was teaching them the Word of God, just, you know, having the Bible study, my hands caught on fire as I was teaching them a Bible story. Now, I'm not sure if that's the Holy Ghost or if that's an angel of God touching, touching us and ministering to us when we're trying to do the work of the Lord. But many times, I have had that kind of experience, either teaching a home Bible study or preaching to the church and we're having service and God is moving. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody hit me with a bolt of lightning. And it's like fire. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's like fire that's running through your hands. And your hands are just tingling, you know. And, and obviously, they're not on fire literally. But you can feel the fire going through your hands, amen, like you had been hit with a bolt of lightning, lightning. And that has happened many, many times to me, not just in church, but in a Bible study setting. And I know you, some of you, felt that kind of touch from God. 
you prayed and fasting or in church, lifted your hands and worshiping God, and the power of God hits you. Because that's the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I believe that. But it could have been an angel that was ministering to you and strengthening you. Are you all here today? The Bible talks about Daniel in the Old Testament had experience with angels. He fasted. He was fasting for over 20 days. And the Bible says an angel uh, came to him and he fell down before that angel and the angel reached out and touched him and said, Rise up, Daniel. And Daniel, the Bible says, received strength. So that means they have the ability or the power to release strength into you supernaturally. So oftentimes what you or I are feeling, uh, just like Old Testament men and New Testament uh, men of God, uh, like Jesus, were ministered to by angels, oftentimes we are being touched by angels and we don't even realize it. But you can feel something that happened inside of you is supernatural, if you will, charging that comes into you. Amen. Now, uh, I will give you the opportunity. How many of you in this church have experienced something like that? Where your hands caught on fire and you just were like you were just tingling, you know, with the presence of the Lord. Anybody okay? So I've got a few people out there that have experienced that. Now that doesn't mean if you haven't experienced that that you don't have God. Amen. But uh, but some of us know what I'm talking about when we've experienced these supernatural touches. And was that the spirit of the Lord or was that an angel? What was it? I'm not sure, but I do believe that angels come they touch you and they minister to you and they release supernatural power into your life. So the Bible is very clear about the Old Testament and the New Testament about how uh, Jesus spoke often of them over 300 times this uh, reference is made to angels. I thank God for angels. Now I don't worship angels. I don't pray to angels. I pray to God. I don't pray to an angel say, angel come help me. Don't ever do that. Don't ever start praying to angels. Don't worship angels. Don't pray to them. Don't ask for an angel to come help you. Don't, you can ask God, but don't say, angel, help me. You pray to God. You worship God. And it's just like Old Testament saints and New Testament saints and Jesus in the New Testament was ministered to by angels. They will come to you and they will help you. But you don't pray to an angel. You pray to God. You don't worship an angel worship God. In the book of Revelation when John fell down before the angel the angel told him, you don't worship me, you worship God. Amen. So today, if you're praying to angels you're worshiping angels then you're in idolatry. You and I are not supposed to do that. Okay? Are y'all with me? If you are, say praise the Lord. So God will send angels. I believe in angels. They'll come and they'll minister to us and they'll help us with different situations because that's what they're about. They are ministering spirits, spirits sent to them that are the heirs of salvation. And God makes them flames of fire. So when he touches you, when they touch you, you feel that fire going through your body. And that's why I say oftentimes I can't discern if, it, if it's God or if it's an angel that's touching me when I feel that. But I do know that they are flames of fire. And they're real. And they come and they strengthen you and they minister to you. And they come to help you. And they help you in situations you don't even know you're fixing to get into. And God sends his angels, hallelujah, and, and delivers you out of very difficult situations. 
I'm going to be careful here because I'm going to try to limit what I say to the Word of God other than just human experience. But one, one man said this, God gave him a vision, and he said when the people of God were praying, he saw like lights, lights coming from heaven to the earth. And God revealed to him that that, that stream of light that was coming to the earth was angels bringing the answers to those prayers. So God uses angels to strengthen you, to minister to you, to be a messenger in your life, to answer prayers. But we don't pray to the angel, we pray to God. And that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? God gave you the ability to see these like lights coming from heaven to the earth. And you know that's an angel bringing the answer to your prayers. Just praise the Lord. So I believe in angels. Hallelujah. Now, whether I ever shows me lights coming from heaven to earth, that doesn't really matter. But I know I've had personal experience with the supernatural world because I've really felt it in my life. How many of y'all understand what the pastor's saying? You're thankful for angels? Now, the Bible tells us uh, the order of angels in the kingdom of God, the everlasting kingdom of God, the universal kingdom of God. Number one, archangels. Okay? So in the angelic world, there are archangels. Say the archangels. In the Jewish teaching, Hebrew tradition, Jewish tradition says there are 12 archangels. The book of Enoch, in Enoch chapter 20, gives you the name of seven archangels. Now, I don't know the name of all 12 of them, but Enoch says there's seven of them uh, that, that he calls by name. That's not in your Bible. Obviously, the book of Enoch's not in the Bible. This is another book. Jude makes reference to Enoch. But Enoch named seven archangels. But there are probably 12 archangels. I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But the Bible only gives reference to three archangels. So, first of all, let's talk about God. There is order in the kingdom of God. Order in the kingdom of God. And so you have God's, say praise the Lord, God. He's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Not three separate persons. One God. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now under God, we have an angelic order. Right underneath God, you have a hierarchy or angels of rank. And uh, the highest angel that I'm aware of is an archangel. Highest ranking angel that I'm aware of by the Bible is the archangel. Now, 12 of them, the Jewish say 12 of them. Enoch names seven of them. The scripture names three of them. Number one, the first archangel that we'll talk about is Lucifer. The second archangel is Michael. And the third archangel is Gabriel. Now, those are the only ones in the, or in the Bible that is referred to as archangels. They are very high-ranking angels underneath God. We'll talk about Lucifer. He used to be in the kingdom of God before he was cast out. We'll get to that in a moment. But the Bible tells us about three archangels. And the scripture seems to give us enough information about them to come to the conclusion that each one of those archangels 
were over one-third of the heavenly hosts. Okay? Say praise the Lord. Are y'all awake? Now, and the Bible tells us that when the archangel Lucifer was cast out of heaven, Revelation chapter 12 tells us that he threw with his tail a third part of the stars. That's not talking about literal stars in the heaven. It's talking about the angels. A third part of them were, were drawn with his tail. Amen. And it seems by that scripture that Lucifer was over one-third of the angels of heaven. And that when Lucifer rebelled against God, that one-third of the angels followed him in that rebellion. And uh, they are no longer uh, good angels. They are fallen angels. All I'm getting to at this point with that is to say, it seems like, by the word of God, that we have three archangels referred to in the Bible, and that each one of them are over one-third of the angels. Now, when Lucifer fell, then a third of the angels fell with him. That leaves two-thirds, one-third under Michael and one-third under Gabriel. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so these very high-ranking angels in the everlasting kingdom of God, the universal kingdom of God, God has order in his kingdom. Do you understand that? So there are ranks in his kingdom. Not every angel has the same level of rank or authority in the kingdom of God. So the first highest-ranking angel that I'm aware of by the word of God is the archangel. Okay, so praise the Lord. Now, uh, first of all, there are is there is Lucifer. Let's go over there and uh, read in the Bible about Lucifer. And go to Isaiah 14. Now, there's some things that we don't know. Some things are a mystery. There's some things that we can gather by clues in the scripture uh, about uh, the, the order of angels. But uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, and we have a reference here to Lucifer, the Bible tells us. Isaiah 14, are you there? Okay, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? So we have a reference to Lucifer, who's called the son of the morning. Now, Lucifer literally means day star or light bearer. Day star or light bearer. Right? That's what his name means. And then the Bible goes on and tells us, verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, he's not talking about physical stars. Okay? So, are you all with me at this point? What we see then is a very powerful angel called Lucifer that has freedom of choice. So that even the angels, they're not robots. God put, when he created the angels, he put with them the ability to choose. 
because Lucifer could not make this decision in his heart if he didn't have the ability to make a choice. So the first thing that I need to tell you about this Archangel Lucifer is that he had the ability to choose. That means that theologically he was a pre-moral agent. So he had the ability to make a decision to go against the will of God. He had the ability to will against the will of God. So angels, even high-ranking angels, they're not puppets. They, have, they are free moral agents that have the ability to make decisions either to obey God or disobey God. And Lucifer, the son of the morning, whose name means light-bearer, Day or day star made a decision in his heart to overthrow the throne of God. And he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That means I'm going to take over heaven. I'm going to take over. And I am going, Lucifer, is going to seek to remove order out of the kingdom of God. He is fixing to try to overthrow God and the kingdom of God. He wants to take over himself. Now, I've already told you that in the everlasting kingdom of God or the universal kingdom of God, God has order. The first thing this angel does when he starts thinking within himself, I am going to overthrow this order. And I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God I'm going to put myself above all of those angels, all the angelic hosts, okay? Not just one-third of them. He said, I want to be over all of you. And he said, I'm going to exalt my throne above the throne of God. I'm going to take over God's kingdom, all right? So he is fixing to usurp authority. He's fixing to try to remove the order in the kingdom of God. Revelation 12 tells us that when he does this, either initially or in the future or whatever, I'm not going to try to determine that, Revelation 12 passage as far as, as the fulfillment, but he says a third of the angels were taken by his tail, symbolic language, and they fell with him. So that means this, that when this angel sought to usurp authority, high-ranking archangels, usurp authority, take over, go above all the angels of God, overthrow God, then we have a third of the angels that said, we are with you. Now listen to me carefully. If you want to understand how a fallen angel thinks and operates, this is showing you. And it's important for us to understand that because this is what he will seek to do in any church. Not just this church, not in any, you know, every church that's of God, this is the way the enemy works. He will seek to come into that church and remove the order out of the house. He will seek to usurp authority. He will seek to put himself above the delegated authority of God in that house. And when he does, he will find a person oftentimes that was trusted to do it. And a whole church can be affected by this, this activity of the demonic world 
so that oftentimes you will see a third of the church was going into rebellion. We've oftentimes heard that term church split, but really it's probably not right down the middle, half and half. It's probably going to be about a third of the church can be influenced by somebody who is allowed into their heart this kind of thinking that Satan had. Normally, if you have a rebellion on that level, you're not going to have one person in the church that doesn't. You're going to have a third that's going to join with that rebellion and try to overthrow what God is doing. You understand? So he is seeking to disrupt the kingdom of God. He's seeking to remove the order. He's seeking to remove authority, and he wants it. So he is a usurper. He has no right to that. Obviously, what happened was he got lifted up in pride, the Bible says. And the reason why he got lifted up in pride uh, in self-will is because he was a beautiful angel. Very beautiful. Now, we just read a minute and get what he is. Very beautiful angel. Very beautiful created being of God. And because of his beauty and his position, he let pride in his heart. He said, I don't want just this. I want the whole thing. I want it all the shot. So we go on, we see uh, in verse 13, he says, For thou hast said in thine heart, and he uses the term I will five times. Five times. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. As soon as he started saying, I will, he's out of God's will. And he says it how many times? Five times. When you look at Jesus hanging on the cross, he was pierced five times. Two times in his hands, two times in his feet, one time in his side. We're not talking about the thorns on the head. So that the five piercings of Jesus in his body answer to the five I wills of Satan. And how Jesus will overthrow this angel that rebels against him. So as soon as he started thinking within his heart that he was going to exalt himself above the stars of God, the throne of God, and he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, he's in trouble. The Bible says, I'll read it to you, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation beside the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The Bible says, verse 16, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Go to Ezekiel 28. We have further understanding about this angel named Lucifer. Uh, Ezekiel 28. Yeah, Ezekiel 28 gives us further understanding. See, there it says, praise the Lord. All right, 28. have in chapter 28, first of all, a reference to the principality. 
Now, the prince of Tyrus is a man. But the prophet Ezekiel begins to see further than just the man, the prince of Tyrus. God opens his understanding, gives them insight into the king that's behind the prince of Persia. You understand what I just said? Okay. Look at verse 12, Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up a limitation upon the king of Tyrus. So the first few verses up to 12 talk about the prince of Tyrus, which is a human being. But then we have a change. Now it's the king of Tyrus, and the prophecy is not about the man, but it's about a spirit, an angel that is fallen. This lamentation upon the king of Tyrus saith in him, verse 12, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He says about the king of Tyrus, not about the man, but this, this angel. He said, you are, you have wisdom and you're perfect in beauty. Say with me, perfect in beauty. So that's where this teaching comes that Lucifer was God's most beautiful angel. Because the Bible says he was perfect in beauty. So if he was perfect in beauty, maybe we can come to the conclusion that he was the most beautiful angel in God's creation. He had a lot of wisdom, the Bible says. Verse 13, he says, You've been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. He said, All right, let, let's describe this, this being. What did he look like? What did Lucifer look like? Here called the king of Tyrus. Well, he gives us the location we, that he was in Eden, the garden of God. That's paradise. Okay. He tells us every precious stone was thy covering. If you want to know what this beautiful archangel looked like, Lucifer, the Bible says he was covered with all kinds of stones, precious stones. The Bible tells us that his covering was precious stones, and it was the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tablets. And I'll stop there. He talks about these. He said, this was your covering. All these, these precious stones that are listed there were his covering. Now, if you remember, at the end of the book of Revelation, these same stones are seen in the New Jerusalem. Why are they seen in the New Jerusalem? Because the enemy, when they were vanquished, uh, their armor was taken and hung up on the walls of the city. And so because Satan, who was once Lucifer, has been vanquished by Jesus Christ and defeated by Jesus Christ, he's been stripped of his armor, if you will, and we see that in the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. So the same things that are said about the stones that were in this king of Tyrus is said about the New Jerusalem. This is what he looked like. These stones as his covering. Then the Bible says, and then he says, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. 
literally, not only did he have the stones to, as a covering, but the Bible says that in his very being, he had musical instruments. So now God is beginning to paint you a picture of this angel. The Bible says he had pipes, tablets, it was prepared in me in the day that thou was created. And from this, then, these instruments are used to worship God with. There's no other purpose for these instruments. You know, it's not like when you go into a store and they have music, you know, to entertain you. To make you feel good and stay in the store and buy a bunch of things. When he was created with these instruments in his being, it was for the worship of God. So Lucifer then, you have the, listen, are y'all getting the picture? Lucifer, this very high-ranking archangel, was just under the throne of God, and he was very beautiful and very wise, and the Bible says these stones were in his covering, and then you have these musical instruments that was in his hand, and uh, from this, it is believed that Lucifer was the worship leader of heaven. Okay? Now, theologians say, teachers say of the Word of God, that the praise of the heavenly host, I, I, I know I'm putting you to sleep, but I'm going to talk to you. You have to understand what I'm saying to you. But this archangel, very high-ranking archangel called Lucifer, he was a prophet, priest, and a king in the kingdom of God. Okay, that order was there, and that order was in him. As a priest then, he was the worship leader. Because what we have on the earth is a type and a shadow of what preceded it in the heavens. And you can look at the way God established worshiping the earth and the pre-anointed theocracy of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. That was shadowed. It was a shadow of what was real in the heavens. So Lucifer then, if you take all the scripture together, was a prophet and a priest and a king in the kingdom of God. And we see his makeup, very beautiful, very wise, right here. And we see him as a priest with these instruments in his body. And it is believed, or within him I should say, that as the heavenly host sent their praise up to God, that then that praise went through him through those pipes and through those tablets went through Kim and then before he fell he would offer it to God does that make sense as a priest now he wants that for himself he wants the praise for himself you with me today verse 14 it tells us who this king of Tyrus is it's not a man he said, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So here we see that Lucifer, Lucifer, Archangel Cherub, was connected again, as I said, with what? The throne of God. They're being connected with the throne of God. Right? He is an anointed cherub that covers. I don't have all one to teach it to you, but in the tabernacle, you have those two cherubim facing each other. They really were probably four see too. Because in the Bible, the Bible tells us that there are four of those that are around the throne. That's why holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, day and night, 24 hours a day. 
there's probably four, but you see two on the earth in the tabernacle associated with the throne of God and they are there and their wings are spread out touching each other. You understand? Okay. And God is above that. He's above those wings that are touching together. And so we see here in the word of the Lord then that he's connected with the word of God, he, uh, with the throne of God. He's the anointed chair that what? Covers. Listen. That means he was associated with the throne of God and his role was one to be involved in the worship and praise of God, but also his role was to make sure that nobody got to the throne that was there was any kind of evil in any created being in God's universe. Not that God needed any help, but God has order. And he put these angels in specific positions and roles and purposes so that these cherubim were used by God to protect the throne from intruders or invaders to that throne. Obviously, God doesn't need any help. That was their purpose. To stand guard. Nobody could come into the presence of God. No created being could come into the presence of God but his saints. And they were protecting uh, their role to protect the throne of God or to cover. And then God says, I have set thee so. He said, I put you there. I put you in that position. I placed you there. I made you beautiful. I made you wise. I put the stones in you. I put the worship uh, musical instruments in you. I associated you with the throne. You're there to cover. I anointed you. And he said, I'm the one that put you in that position. God did. So he says, so was thou upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. You understand that? So God didn't create a devil. He created anointed cherub. Cherubim. Cherub. He created a, a beautiful angel, a wise angel, and, and we have the description given. He did not create the devil. He was perfect in beauty until iniquity was found in him. And iniquity simply means rebellion against divine authority. As soon as he let that iniquity get inside of him, rebellion against divine authority, then now we have a devil. You understand? God didn't create the devil. He created a beautiful angel, Sarah. So thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. You hear the word of God today. At this point, brothers and sisters, at this point now, two wills have entered into the universe. We have God's will, but now we have a usurper who was created by God, put in position by God, very high-ranking, associated with the throne of God, to cover and be involved in the worship of God. He was a leader in the church. Now rebellion's got in his heart. And the Bible tells us now, when he starts exercising Isaiah 14, his own will, he says it five times, now two wills have entered into the universe. No longer just the will of God. 
but a separate will in this fallen So he says that iniquity was found in him, and uh, you know the devil thought he could get free of it. He thought that he could come up with his own plan. He thought he could he could bring his own plan in the universe. He thought he was going to succeed. Trying to originate policy, he's trying to originate plans. God didn't give him enough of it. So we see iniquity found in him, in verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned. First time sin entered in the universe with God. Thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the temple of God. You know what God does with people who operate like Lucifer? He removes them. He doesn't counsel them. He doesn't get together and talk, try to talk to them and counsel them. He removes them. Because that is something that can never be allowed in the kingdom of God. Is the will of God must be done, not my will. The will of God must be done, not my policy. The will of God must be done, not my plans. You understand? But what God does is he's he's gonna sit down and say, okay, let's have a talk. He kicks him out of heaven. And the Bible said, Jesus said, I saw him as lightning. Fall from the heavens. Well, how did Jesus see him fall from lightning? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is the one that cast him out of heaven. Jesus is the one that God who threw him out of heaven. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the throne of fire. Thine heart is lifted up because of thy hand. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom, thy reason, and thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuary. That's connected to priesthood. But by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee that shall devour thee. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. And obviously, this hasn't been fulfilled yet. But you have a progressive fall of Lucifer. He's cast out of heaven. He's limited. He's cast out of the third heaven. He's limited to the second heaven. He comes into the earth. But the Bible tells us there'll be a time when he listens. Once cast out of heaven like lightning, set up a headquarters in the second heaven. Second heaven, this is the start of heaven, right? Okay, let me clarify. You have three heavens. You have the atmospheric heaven, clouds. Above that, you have the stars, another heaven. That's the second heaven. And then the heaven above that, the third heaven, third dimension, third heaven, is where the throne of God is located. 
when Satan was cast out, he was cast out of the third heaven. He's limited to the second heaven. He set up his headquarters in the heavenly places. That's where we wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places are literally the second heaven. So that's where he set his headquarters up. He's in that second heaven in the solar, in the starry realms. All right? You're here tonight, today. But he has access to the earth. Now, in the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter, he will be cast from the second heaven to the ground. And he will be limited to his operation uh, to the ground. And then from there, God will cast him into the, the abyss for a thousand years. And then the lake so there is a fall line of this archangel that started initially with this bringing a second wheel into the heavens and sin into the heavens. He was cast from there to second heaven, has access to the earth. Revelation 12, he'll be limited to the earth as the midpoint of the tribulation period to bring havoc on planet earth. And then ultimately God will take him even lower and put him in the pit and then into the lake of fire. So there is a fall line of this. That's what the scripture says. talk about Lucifer then we're talking about the day star the light bearer the sun of the morning Isaiah 14 12 through 14 Ezekiel 12 28 11 through 17 Ephesians 2 and verse 2 go ahead <laughs> I say the Lord that's why when I tell you what I tell you this morning when I say what I said about us coming back to Odessa as soon as I got here, I felt that, that principality that is seeking to do warfare against this church, against the work of God. This is what I'm talking about. This is something we have to be aware of. And those third, those the third of the angels that fell with him are the Bible says principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. When Lucifer fell and took a third of the angels, he took princes with him. He took dominions with him. He took powers with him. He took spiritual wickedness with him. They fell with him. And he set up a kingdom of darkness that is to seek to hinder the work of God and to do harm to the human race. The moment that you and I begin to close our eyes to that, Lucifer was right. He's connected right next to the throne of God Almighty. Okay. He's been around a lot longer than you. He's been around a lot longer than I have. And we'll get we'll get more into detail because I'm, we will teach you the doctrine as we go through the teachings here in theology. We'll, we will teach you the doctrine of Satan and demons. So I'm not going to teach you all of that this morning. We're going to spend a whole period of time just teaching you about the doctrine of Satan demons. And much of what we've taught you already, you're going to hear it again. Okay? It is a network with a, in some, in some sense, with chaos, but in some sense with order. And the chaos comes, we 
because you know you got fallen creatures and lying crooked dishes. The things of fighting warfare. Amen. But it's still organized. Is the deacons do good? Okay, let's look at it. Uh, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said there was a time in your life and in my life when we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You and I used to live in rebellion. We used to live. Our lives did not please God. And that spirit of Satan was working in the children, and it still works in the children of disobedience. That's why in any church, any occupation, any job, any home, when you have a usurping of authority, you have to stand against it. Because if you don't, it will simply take more and more land. It is a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. And if you need to understand what I'm saying, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's holding up of that. Life to that spirit to cause them to rebel. But I'm going to go by the Holy Ghost, and I always do, even though I'm in a theology teaching this morning. I'm going to stay with you. There's a flow not long ago. It took her ten. Boy, sued her own parents for child support. Sued her own parents for them to pay her tuition. And where it all started is she didn't like the boundaries her parents set up. So she rebelled against those boundaries. And she ended up living with another family. And that family was the one that provided money to support the case against her own parents, the family that she was living with. Put the money in. Thank God that the judge, because I was watching this close, Thank God the judge ruled against her. And I simply bring that up to you in this hour. We are dealing with a spirit of rebellion. And the Bible says, and it identifies that spirit very clearly, that is the spirit of the fallen one. And it works in the children of disobedience. Now you know what you're up against. And you are seeing a rise in the end times of being rebellious. I mean, teenagers, I rebel when I was a teenager. You rebel when you're a teenager. That's not a good thing. I'm just telling you, you do that. You do it. But there's a rise in this hour right now of this activity today. 
challenge you. Keep it of God. It's not just the enemy trying to stir up your spirit to, you know, go against your rules or your boundaries. What it is is, is the devil saying, I'm going to overthrow God's order. I'm taking over. That's why you cannot allow him to take over. Because it's not just about you, it's about God. Well, the good news is we can try to go home. That's the good news. Well, she found out she didn't give away. So she decided to go home. You know what one tongue said? I listened to him on Fox News. He had some very nice words. My eyes are burning. He said, if I was a parent, I'd have her put in writing. I will abide by your word. He said, because if she hasn't changed, then they try to enforce the order down his own life again. She'll still do the same thing she did before. Let's put have her put it in writing that she's not going to change. What are you saying, Pastor? I, I'm not speaking against that young girl. I'm telling you, she's opened up her heart to a spirit of disobedience, and that's the spirit of the fallen one. And what she needs to do is she needs God. Well, they need that family needs counseling. Only God. Okay. But what we see in this end times is a rising up of rebellion. You're suffering of authority against God. It's not listen to what your pastor's saying. It's not about one girl taking a chance to court. It's about the devil standing up and saying, I'm going to overthrow God's authority and Yes, sir. But this is the spirit that you are by the word of God. Yes, sir. Okay, it's, it's not your flesh and blood that mocks you out there. You're dealing with you're dealing with spirit. I'm just going to let them have their way. Are you kidding me? Or what you pass the same. I need all the God I can give. You need all the God you can give. Your kids need all the God they can give. My kids need all the God they can give. That's why there has to be consequences for the decision. I say it cannot be allowed to continue in the church. It cannot be allowed to continue in the workplace. It cannot be allowed to continue in the home. 
church and home and love. That's what it's all about. We need God. We have Him. And there's y'all fight a good fight and good warfare. And this thing is over. God loves His church and faith. And uh, obviously, many of them making mistakes and sin and lifting up and things like that. But our job is to restore this to its purpose. It's to fight the battle and, and get them out of it. You understand? You know, but the attorney told us that this. He said, this family must exercise tough love. Tough love. We have to exercise tough love, but it's still love. We want to be restored. We want to be restored. We want to be able to stand. You and I have to have the ability to see what spirit we're working in. Not just the human condition, but the spirit. Do you understand what you're talking about? Also, we all had our conversation in times past, and the lust of the flesh fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together by Christ, or with Christ, by grace we saved. And has raised us together. Listen, and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the spirit world, 
spirit realm, I'm already in heaven. I don't have to die and go there. My body, when I die, physically get resurrected, I'll go there bodily. But in the spirit, I'm already there. I'm standing with a heavenly host, worshiping God. Right here on planet Earth, yes. But in the spirit, I'm seated together in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. So that heaven is not just a place I'm going to. Heaven is in Jesus Christ. And it's a place I'm going to when I die. I'm there now in the spirit, in Christ Jesus. So, I just say this, okay? For God's sake, I've spoken to you about this. Thank you for coming to be prayed for, to be ministered to. Say with me, I'm a good boy. He said, I'm a good boy. You're a bad thing. I'm not going to tell you everything because then you'll, you'll identify who I'm talking about. But I thank God that he used this man and had an opportunity to pray with him, to minister to him, to talk to him, give him words, to encourage him. Mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. Mistakes. Don't repeat them. Don't repeat your mistakes. Learn from them. Don't ever tell God I won't do it again. Just say, God, help me to live for you. You start making promises to God, I'll never do it again. You're going to do it tomorrow. You say, God, help me to live for you. He'll give you all the power and strength you need to live for you. And then if you look to him, you'll just kind of it will dawn on you. I'm going to look at him. Why? Because you're focusing God, like he said. He's a high-ranking official. He's a high-ranking angel. Lucifer. This could happen to him. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. That's why we got to walk close to the Lord. And we got to fight some battles first. we got to fight some battles first. Thank you. 
associated with the throne of God, he was the worship leader of God, fighting rebellion, the highest fighting rebellion, which fell from that Michael, the other angel in scripture, means who is like God or God like? Who is like God or God like? He's an awesome angel. Very high ranking angel in the kingdom of God. Michael is the prince of Israel in the Old Testament. Okay? In the book of Daniel, he is literally called Michael, your prince. So speaking to Daniel, Michael is your prince. He is the prince over Israel. He's the war, warring angel for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. I still believe today. on the behalf of the nation of Israel. You will see in Jude, Jude verse 9, that it is Michael that contended with Satan over the body of Moses. And you see Michael, the prince of Israel, the warring angel on behalf of Israel. He is, in his activity, involved with Satan. What that means is as the chief priest, warring angel for Israel, he's at war with Satan. So his activity, he's directly involved with warfare with Satan. He contends with Satan over the body of Moses. In Revelation chapter 12, when Satan is cast from heaven, it is Michael that is involved in that warfare. So he is the prince of the nation of Israel. He is one that's associated with the warfare, with warfare with Satan directly and with me. And he is the angel that is connected to the resurrection of the body. Because the Bible talks about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. That when the Lord descends from heaven, he's going to descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel. believe that that archangel that accompanied Jesus on his second coming is Michael. He's associated with the resurrection of the body. Jesus scriptures you can look at look them up. In your free time I won't go use the time to do that. Daniel 10 21 Daniel 12 1 through 4 through 9 and then Revelation 12 
Gabriel. Archangel Gabriel. Gabriel means God is my strength or the strength of God. I'm almost done. I'm just tired. I think I pastor. When I got home, I went straight in the study for the service this morning. I'm a real tired preacher. I'm in church. So I'm not being just a, a, a little bit stand up there and preach and eat my food and drink my and just be deceptive right there. But Gabriel, God is my strength. He is an angel of prophecy. He's an angel of the prophetic word. When you see Gabriel in activity, he's involved in the bringing of prophetic messages and the interpretation of prophetic messages. Two times in the book of Daniel, Gabriel is seen bringing messages to Daniel and interpreting prophetic messages. New Testament, he comes to Zacharias bringing a message from God and also, I got here. He spoke to Mary about the Messiah. So Gabriel, he says, he stands in the presence of God. God is his strength. A prophetic angel bringing prophecies and interpreting prophecies, particularly connected to the coming of the Messiah. One of the prophecies that he comes and interprets is, 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 is connected in, and in reference to Messiah's coming. Okay? Give you the scriptures. Daniel 8, 16 through 19. Daniel 9, 1 through 27. Daniel 10, 8 through 11. Luke 1, 19 and 26. In the book of Daniel, you will see Gabriel being this, this prophetic angel. You'll see Gabriel's activity is not with Satan. Isaac's activity involves Satan and the warfare with Satan. But Gabriel's activity is not with Satan, but with Michael. Because when Gabriel is seeking to bring a message to Daniel, in that time of warfare, read Daniel 10, that time of warfare, Gabriel is seeking to come through that back in heaven with that message and he is resisting until Michael comes and helps him defeat the prince of Persia and then he said the prince of Grecia shall conquer but Gabriel had to have help from Michael to do warfare against Satan against the prince of Persia and then he Gabriel wasn't involved in fighting Satan. He was involved in the activity of warfare with Satan. Michael is involved in that. He's a prophetic angel. So then, if Lucifer was an archangel and Michael is an archangel, Gabriel, by Putting it all together as an archangel, then you have one third of the angels that fell with Lucifer. That means two thirds, one named Gabriel and one named Michael. One third, one third, one third. Okay? I'm almost done. I'm getting tired. 
look at the heavenly courts, you know, you have these archangels. Now, as I said, some believe that there's 12. Enoch gives the name of seven of them. We only have three referred to in the, in the Bible, okay? If you look at the Sanhedrin court, Sanhedrin court had 70 elders and one high priest over them. So, you have these archangels, where there be three, twelve, however many there are. But underneath them, there is this like Sanhedrin of angels. Because the government that is set up on the earth by God was a picture of what's in the heavens. So, 70 angels of princes as the 70 in the Sanhedrin. Daniel 10, 13 talks about a prince. Of course, the prince of Persia was a prince that was against God's kingdom. But no doubt these are called princes underneath the archangels. Numbering 70, it's believed because of the 70 nations into which the human family was divided at the Tower of Babel. Now, I don't have time to read it for you. Exodus 24, 1 through 11. Moses set up 12 pillars at Mount Sinai and had 70 elders from the camp of Israel. And then underneath them, the general host of Israel. 12 pillars. 70 elders, general host of Israel. And it seems like the way God operates, we have the shadow on the earth of some heavenly things. You would have 12 archangels, 70 princes, the general host of angels. We see it again in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Look at that. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Three manifestations of one God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had how many? 12 sons. 12 archangels. And then the Bible says 70 souls. Read the book of Exodus. It talks about the 70 souls. Okay? Again, 12 Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Twelve sons, and then we have the 70 souls the Bible talks about. And then we have the general host of Israel, as it were. Okay. Jesus said this, and we already made reference to it. He said, I can pray, and God will send me 12 legions of angels. The number is going on, the number 12. The number 12 is the number of divine government. So when Jesus said, I can pray, and God has said 12 legions of angels, we have again the, uh, the number of divine government. So is this order? Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, but Jesus chose 12, right? First. He chose 12 for his number of divine government. And after he chose the 12, what did he do? He chose 70 more. 
because the blood of the first covenant. It says, I'll be my feet. So again, 12 and 70 is even in the assignment of the Lord. Luke 9, 1 through 3, and 21 through 3. If this is the order, earthly shadow, then we have 12 archangels and 70 angels. And underneath them, a multitude of heavenly hosts, which Jesus said, legions, legion is 6,000. We can make up 12 legions, 72,000. Right? And then, in the book of Revelation, we have a reference to myriads of angels. Revelation chapter 5. The Bible says an innumerable company of angels that tells me no man knows the number. It is an innumerable company of angels, but that doesn't mean nobody knows how many there are. It just means that man doesn't know how many there are. God knows the number of angels. But for your reference and my reference, the Bible says there are innumerable areas of angels. I mean, thousands upon thousands, then thousands and We have God, manifestation of our Son, Holy Ghost. We have angels, possibly 12 archangels, and 70 angels under that, and a general host of angels that are innumerable. Third, there were Lucifer, two thirds of the world. God always gets his way. He does it right now. He will in the end. That's why when you pray, you say, not my will, but your will be done. God says, it's going to happen anyway. I may kick and sin against you, but it's going to happen anyway. I may end up in hell, but it's still going to be Got a better purpose than you do. Yeah, you get your way, get messed up. You know what's up. I would just line all of you up in prayer and get you in the entire room. Now, what I'm about to say to you, when you say you're miracle, think about angels, then that also, you have to understand that applies to the followers as well. There's thousands. I know I have scientists come, but when you study the fall, you got Lucifer, who was cast out of heaven to get there, underneath him there are fallen angels. That's all they have to read. Fallen angels, right? Under under that, you have Big Sally's palace, ruler of the darkness, spiritual wings from heavenly places, under that, under that. So I mean even in the kingdom of darkness, you still have these to get a glimpse of the order. That's why when you read, you read the comic books, you watch, watch the uh, stories about Superman, Batman, all of that, you don't understand that's all connected to the fallen angels. 
get a pastor to tell you, you got to spit it. So I go, well, I can't tell you hurt my feet if you sit on this seat. I'm not trying to hurt your feet. I'm trying to help you see. You got a devil rescue this year to come and kill you because the devil destroys you. You hurt my feet. If you shut up, I'll tell you again. As your pastor, you should know. You should know you're wrestling against principalities and powers, so on and so forth. Okay. But your pastor knows when you're fighting spirit. He knows when you've got a demon messing with you, trying to strangle you. He walks up and says, You got it. No, I'm not. But I want to You got a spirit working on you. Don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. They call booty hurt. Get over here, let's pray until we get that thing off of you, until we get it into the ground. Until we put his eyes out. That, that's why you got to be, that, you have to be a warrior. You got to fight. You got to learn how to do this. Hey, that's no passing, no sitting around, man. Jesus, man. Close contact. Paul wrestling. I promise you this, Jared. You've got enough God in you to come to your pastor and say, Pastor, you're fighting spirit right now. Let's come to you. Let's have a Get coming on me, getting on me. Get it off me. And I'm going to wrestle too, man. If you see it, if you see it, you've got an assignment to see it. That means you have an assignment also to get it off. A lot of times people, you know, and they think the shepherd's feet is open. I just know when I was church, I just know I just didn't see And I did. And he hurt me so bad. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take the church in this crush. And if you're a sheep, I'm not trying to beat the car out of you. There's a devil sitting on your shoulder. I'm going to take this crush and I'm going to take this crush by the power of the living God. And if you're too, if you want to run from me, you want to run from your shepherd, that truth is bad. Well, that devil's going to chase you right, he's going to run right after you. So you know what I got to do then? My rod and my staff, they can. Because they can't get you with the hook. So we're going to throw a rod over there. Boom. And you're going to think I'm throwing it at you. And you're going to go, whoo. You're going to jump. But the rod was, it took out the line with the bear. You thought I was throwing it at you. So it. So it. I'm trying to help everybody in this church. I'm trying to help. I want to go to heaven. How about you? So praise the Lord. Come in here. Go like this.
I get after you? He said, we're not in an opera. And you come in here and you feel like you're in an opera. He wanted to take me down too, just like he wanted to take you down. He wanted to take you down. He wanted to bring you down and force you. Didn't he? He prayed for you. I'm so thankful, though, for this time that we spent together. But God did. By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So this is a, so this is a clue to the divine order. Talk about his nature. God Father God, we give you praise and glory and honor today. We pray about your blood, Jesus. Your blood, Jesus. Your blood. Thank you for coming once again. 